What up, party people? Good to be with you folks. If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 3, that's where we're going to be in tonight. I want to thank all of you for joining us for our uh, start of the year Seek Week, our annual prayer and fasting. And it was a powerful time for us as a church to pray, to seek God together, to believe God for his best in our lives. And not only was it powerful, we had about 1,300 people who joined us for our corporate prayer pockets at all of our congregations. And uh, we were believing God for some big things this year and believing God for him to open doors for us. And not only were we praying as a spiritual family, but we also joined 523 other churches in our every nation family of churches, which is the bigger body of uh, faith that we belong to, and we were all seeking God together. So how many of us know that there's power in unity, and we're believing that this year is going to be an amazing year for not only for us, but for everyone within our Every Nation family of churches. And so we're also with our Every Nation family in this series called Set Apart, and the whole premise of this series is to help us to see that God is calling us as believers to be set apart, to be different from the world. The reason why you and I need to be different is so that we can make a difference. If God is calling us to impact the world around us, we can't live like the world to impact the world. We have to be set apart. We have to live different so that we can make a difference. And so tonight we're going to continue in this thought. Genesis chapter 3 is a famous passage of scripture. This is where all of theology is rooted in. It's the ideal of really God, Adam and Eve, and this story. And so we're going to unpack it together, pull out some principles that we can apply to our lives. So Genesis chapter 3 says this, Now the serpent was more crafty. The enemy had a deceptive nature. That's what crafty means. Than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So the enemy's agenda for our lives, we have to understand, is to always get us to doubt God and to question God in our spirit and in our hearts. Verse 2 says this, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the, from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. Now that part was added in because God didn't say that you can't touch the tree, he said that you can only not eat from the tree. So oftentimes in our lives, we start adding to the word of God, and that's not really his heart for us. Here's the consequence, or you will die. Verse 4, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. The irony is that we were already made in the image of God, so we're already like God. We didn't have to be more like him. We're already in his image. Knowing good and evil, continues on to say, when the woman saw that the fruit wasn't an apple, the Bible doesn't, isn't clear what kind of fruit it was. Most of us, we think it's an apple, but it wasn't. It was just a fruit. Of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. That's why we need to be cautious of what we allow our eyes to get exposed to because our eyes is the gateway to our soul. What we expose our eyes to will determine the quality and the condition of our heart and our soul. So the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So this is where passive men is, is a problem because 
Adam was right there. He should have handled this thing. He should have protected his wife. Instead, he was passive and allowed this problem to be an issue that all of us are still dealing with till this day. He ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. So here's what they did. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Skip down to verse 21. It says this, the Lord God made garments of skin. For Adam and his wife and clothed them. I want to preach and encourage us from this thought. And it says this. Is this the thought that I want you to get into your hearts tonight. Holy, holy, holy. Now if you ever wanted to learn English, just the way that these words are spelled out will make you frustrated. Because it all sounds the same, but there's different meanings to it. You might not be understanding what I'm going to talk about tonight right now from that title, but later on in the message, this is all going to make sense. Holy, holy, holy. If you're ready for the word, say yeah. yeah. If you want God to speak to your heart, say oh yeah. yeah. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. It is alive, living, active, and well. Let it speak to our hearts tonight. But we don't want to hear from a preacher. We want your spirit, Lord, to communicate your heart for us tonight. So give us eyes to see. Ears to hear and a heart that is soft, open, and receptive for everything that you want to deposit into us today. We want to leave better than we came, and only your word can do that. So, Lord, speak to us. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Holy, holy, holy. I was thinking about high school, and I was thinking about a season in my life that I had what I would label as a rebellious season. Now, my rebelliousness might be different from yours, so don't judge mine. I know some of us maybe painted the town red in our rebellious season, but mine's was a little not as bad if you were to compare it to someone who really did bad things, but it was bad in my eyes. And so junior year, I am a student at one of the best schools in the state, St. Louis High School. Come on, somebody. Not everyone can get in, okay? Not everyone can get into this school. <laughs> and so I'm a junior here. And at the ending of our junior year, uh, most of my friends were seniors. And on this one particular day, I went to school, and I noticed that all of my senior friends, they were all going to uh, skip school for a day uh, because there was a college fair at the Blaisdell Center, and they had the opportunity to go visit different colleges, get information about their next season in life because their senior season was coming to an end. And so they were just basically had an opportunity to check out different colleges and so forth. Me being a junior... Uh, it was kind of felt like I was left out. And so I'm talking with them. They're like, bro, you like, come, 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 we go skip school. And one of my friends said this, bro, my mom can write you a note. Let's go. And then the thing that I realized about this is that uh, there's two sayings that are toxic, especially if you're a young male local boy, and it's this, you not down, or come on, bro, for the boys, right? How many of us know that those two sentences and phrases can get you to do some dumb stuff because you get peer pressured into doing it. So all of my friends are saying, come on, for the boys. And I said, all right, for the boys, let's go. So we cut school, went to the Blaisdell, got to check out different uh, universities, got information. And then after that, we hung out, cruised olives, bro. We cruised ala Moana, went and got some uh, boneless chicken with gravy all over from Rainbow's Drive-In. It was a good day. And then the next day I went to school, my friend gave me a note, turned it in. Everything seemed to be cool. And then I'm sitting in my first period class, I get a 
call on the PA. Can uh, Clyde George please report to the office? I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> something's going down. And so I get into the office, and the lady, the receptionist there, she said this. We got your note, but we have a new policy that we just put in place. Now we need to make sure and confirm that your parents wrote the note. So I'm going to have you call your parents to confirm that this note is really true. And my stomach dropped to the ground. My butthole squeezed very, very tight because I knew my parents had no idea what I got myself into. Now you have a decision to make. Who are you going to call, mom or dad? And for some reason that day, I said, I'm going to call my dad. So I called. Four or five rings came up, and then the answering machine picked up. And I said, oh, my dad's not there. The lady said, okay, don't worry. I give it about 10 minutes, and we'll call back. I'm like, oh, no, this is not going to end. I still have to get out of this situation. Call again. My dad doesn't answer. And so she said, okay, we're going to have you go back to class, and then we're going to uh, maybe uh, at the ending of the day, you can come back and you can confirm. And so I'm sitting in class, just kind of worried, thinking about what's going to happen. And then uh, I get a page from my dad. You guys remember pagers back in the day? Oh, man, if you don't remember pagers, pagers, pager codes and all these things. So before cell phones, you had a pager which let you know that you needed to call someone. And so my dad paged me, and I think at the end of the page was 911. And I was like, uh-oh, this is not going to go well. So I called my dad. Long story short, the office called my dad, asked him about the note, and here's what my dad did. He lied on my behalf for me. So here's the thing, I was cool with the school, but I was not cool with my pops <laughs> because I know that he was mad. Now, my dad's saved now, but before back in the day, he was not saved, and he was not a guy that you would want to get angry. Long story short, I didn't get lickings. I should have got lickings. I was able to talk my way out of getting lickings, but me and my dad were not in good graces. I basically got grounded for I don't even know how long. And I learned a couple important lessons from this debacle as a junior. The first thing I realized is that our decisions has consequences. Every decision that you and I make has a consequence, a good consequence or a bad consequence. It all depends on the decision that we make. Second lesson I learned from this situation is this. You need to be wise about who you surround yourself with because the people in your life will influence you for good or for bad. We need to make sure that we surround ourselves with good people in our lives. And the other thing I realized about this is that you can get away for some, with something for a little bit, but everything will always come to light in your life. We never get away with anything. You might have a season where things seem like you're not experiencing consequences, but if you continue in that light for a long time, let me tell you, Things will always come to light. The truth will always prevail. And so from this situation, I realized at a young age that I need to make better decisions. And it got me on a different path because I learned from that decision not to repeat certain things in my life. Now we're looking at this story in scripture that basically gives us insight to a similar situation that Adam and Eve our great, 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 great grandparents in the faith 
had in their lives. And we're going to pull out some truths that we can apply to our lives today. First point in our notes is this. God is holy and made us in his image. Write that down. You and I are created in the image of God. Genesis 1, 27 and 28 says this. So God created mankind. You and I, every single person is created in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Basically, what that means is this. Bring order to everything that you do. Develop, build, cultivate the land that I've given you. You have all the raw materials now in nature to create a life for you. That was God's intent for you and I. So God created this perfect world, and he wanted us to dwell in this perfect world with him together in eternity. So in the creation story, we see that for the first five days of creation, God is speaking things into existence. He's speaking the world that we see and know today into existence. On the sixth day when he created you and I, he didn't speak us into existence. He shaped us into existence. He formed us. The Bible talks about how he got into the the ground and he used the raw materials of the dirt to form us together. And then he breathed his breath into our lungs and you and I were created this process of him creating us reveals how intimately our God wants to be involved in our lives he didn't just speak to us he shaped us into existence that's an intimacy that's a closeness that's a uh, intimate process that God wants to cultivate in our lives with him as we grow in our understanding of who he is in our lives then he breathed his breath into us this shows that we are created in the image of God and his breath in our lives reveals that you and I are different from every other created being on earth we're different from the animals we're different from the trees why because we have the breath of God in our hearts we have his fingerprint on our lives we are created in his image so God did that in six days and guess what he did on the seventh day with you and I He blessed that day, called it holy, and that's what described, uh, the word that he described for it was the Sabbath. It was a rest day. So just in the creation process, you can see how God wanted this world for us to enjoy. He basically did all the hard work for five days, created you and I on the sixth day, and on the seventh day, he just wanted us to enjoy his creation with him. Resting. That's his intent. His initial perfect intent for you and I was to rest in his creation, admiring everything that he did for us, living in a union with him in the posture of rest. Now, we're going to talk about how today we don't have that rest because what the consequences of sin is, it creates this work and this striving, but that wasn't the initial intent that God created for us. It was a posture of rest for us to enjoy creation with our creator. Got me thinking, my son is almost going to turn two. Uh, His name is Judah. And when we were pregnant, me and my wife were pregnant with our son. His name is Judah Kekaimalia Okalani George. And what that means is the calm seas of heaven. And if you ever met my son Judah, he is far from calm. We're praying that that calmness will come upon him. But in that preparation process, me and my wife, we were preparing for my son before my son was even born. 
we went out and bought the most expensive stroller. Went out and bought all these different things. Why? We wanted to create the best possible environment for my son. We wanted to make sure that every product that he had was natural and non-toxic. Get that toxic away from my pure son. You know what I'm saying? We wanted to do everything that we can to create a perfect environment for my son. We even baby-proofed the house. And then I realized after my son was born that you can, you can baby-proof, then you actually got to Judah-proof. Judah-proof is the next level. Like, you got to raise up the stakes because my son gets into everything. But that's the heart for me and my wife. We wanted to create a perfect environment for my son. The crazy part about this is my son had no idea that any of this was taking place before he even came into the world. We were doing all this hard work and labor. We wanted to create a natural environment for him. And so we were even looking at the idea of giving birth naturally for my son. So we took classes and all of these things to prepare ourselves for the birth of my son. My wife and I are far from perfect. And we went through all that work to create an environment for our son. Why? Because we love him. How much more our Heavenly Father in this creation process... His love motivated everything that he did. And God is perfect. He is set apart. He is holy. So his heart for you and I was to enjoy a perfect environment with our perfect creator. That's what his intent was from the beginning. And so I'm painting this picture to help us to see that God's heart for you and I is a lot different than our heart towards him. And you and I are living in a world that's far different from the initial environment that our God created for us to enjoy. And so we're going to look and see how that environment got messed up, but we need to understand the initial intent for us to understand the world that we're currently living in. God is perfect, and he created a perfect world because he wanted us to enjoy it with him. Second point in our notes is this. Sin separates us from God and leaves us empty. Write that down. Sin will create a void in our life that makes us feel empty. So in this process of creation, God gave Adam and Eve one command. But here's the thing. Before the one command that God gave them, he actually gave them a freedom to enjoy all of creation. He said this, you are free to enjoy everything. Enjoy it. Check it out. Go and investigate this world that I gave you. But here's one thing that you got to do. One command was not to eat from one tree. Now, how many of us know that there were probably thousands of trees in creation at this time? And God said, you can only not eat from one tree. Guess where our focus went to? The one tree. We have thousands of trees to enjoy, but now we're giving a command to avoid one tree, and that's where our focus goes on, the one area that's off limits. Everything else, fair game, one area off limits. Guess where our focus goes to? The one area. They were told not to touch, not to enjoy. And that's the scheme of the enemy in our lives. We have to understand this. Part of the deception, God, the enemy can't make us sin. He can only deceive us and tempt us into sin. But here's his strategy for you and I. The enemy will always get us to focus on what we don't have so that we lose sight of the things that we do have in our lives. That's the beginning of temptation. To get you focused on what you don't have so that you don't have appreciation for the things that you do have in your life. And once your eyes starts going on what you don't have, that's the beginning of the fall. 
in our lives. That's where temptation starts to get a grip on us because we are focused on what we don't have. And the part of us falling away from God is where we take our eyes off of him and get mad at him because of what we don't have rather than thanking him for everything that we do have in our lives. So you and I can get caught up with selfishness and greed because we're more focused on what we don't have. Gratitude is produced when we focus our hearts and our attention on everything that we've been blessed with by God. If you want gratitude in your life, take a moment to pause and thank him for everything that you have in your life. If you have a difficulty figuring out what you have in your life, thank him for the very breath that you have in your lungs because it's been given to you by him. And that's a sign from heaven that he's not done with you, that your best days are still ahead of you. Genesis 1, 6 and 7 says this, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate it. Then their eyes were both open and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So sin entered in that world in that moment and everything got ruined. The beauty of God's holy creation was lost. In an instant, I read this and it says this, before sin, Satan promises no consequences. After sin, he convinces us that it's unforgivable. That's what we need to understand with our lives. Before sin, Satan will always promise there's not going to be any consequences. You're not going to die. Then after sin, he convinces you what you did is unforgivable. And that's where he keeps a lot of people in condemnation, guilt, and shame. But tonight we're going to believe that God will set some of us free from that today. <clears throat> then what they did is they went and sold fig leaves to make coverings. Why? Because they realized that they were naked. Now they were always naked. They just had, uh, they weren't aware of their nakedness. And that's the part of the fall where sin causes us to see things that God didn't want us to see. And the funny thing about the fig leaves is this. Fig leaves are the itchiest leaves out there. <laughs> So they put a covering on themselves that probably created a rash on themselves that made them more itchy after. And I heard it said from another preacher that sin makes you stupid. You do stupid things when you sin. You're not thinking clearly. You make dumb decisions because you're trapped in the cycle of sin. And so sin, if we need to understand it, is rejecting God's holy design for life. And because of Adam and Eve and their sin, you and I are byproducts of that, meaning that we are born into sin. Because we are descendants of Adam and Eve, you and I are born with this sin nature in our hearts. And I realize the sin nature when my son is around because you don't need to tell a kid to sin. You can see it. It's evident in the way that they act. So you and I are born into this sin. And the Bible describes sin as missing the mark. That's the definition for sin in the scripture. It's missing the mark or falling short. Now, back in 2004, in the Athens Olympics, there was an archer named Matthew Emmons. And he was a sure shot to win the gold medal in this event. And he was so far ahead of the competition that all he needed to do was just hit the target with his last shot and he would win gold. And so what he did is he took aim saw the target, took a deep breath, let the arrow go, hit the target, and went from first place to last place in an instant. Here's why. Because he shot the wrong target. 
he hit a bullseye in the wrong target. And because of that mistake, he went from first place to eighth place. Now, this got me thinking about our lives and how we can live our lives. Hit the target of what the world says we need to hit. We can get the fame. We can get the influence. We can get all the money, take all the vacations, buy all the things, get the house, and everything that the world says is the life that you want to live. You can hit that target and still feel empty. You can hit the bullseye of that target and still feel a void in your heart because that's the wrong target. That was never the target that God wanted us to hit with our lives. Now, don't get it twisted. The world will promise all of this life and give you the illusion that if you just hit this, you're going to feel complete with your heart. And too often I see so many people with a blindfold focus on the wrong thing. And my heart as a pastor, that I don't want you to give all your energies and effort focusing on the wrong thing and spend all of your time and energy doing that and realize at the end of the life, at the end of your life, that you hit the bullseye of the wrong target. So the fact that you are having a void in your heart right now, an emptiness, thinking that, man, this is just not filling me the way that it should. Everybody is saying that you should have completeness when you get that person, or you should have completeness when you get that position, or you should have completeness when you get that influence. Everybody is saying all of these things, but I'm here, and I have it, and I still feel empty. That emptiness is a gift from God to let you know that the target that you're aiming your life for is the wrong target. You need to pause and reassess your life right now. If you're feeling empty and nothing seems to fill that void in your heart, you can only have an eternal void filled with an eternal person, and that's God himself. Everything else is a byproduct of our relationship with God. If God is not at the center of your heart, you will always feel empty. So this void that we're filling was a void that Adam and Eve felt when they made a decision to sin against God. And if you're feeling empty tonight, it's an opportunity for you to allow God to reveal to you that he's the missing piece in your heart. He's the only one that can fill that eternal void in our lives. But because our decisions have consequences, sin brought along a lot of consequences with it. And I want to go down a list of everything that you and I lost because of sin. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. And you and, I, you and I, we don't often don't realize that the pain that we're experiencing in our life is a byproduct of the sin in the world that we're living in. Sin has destroyed everything. It wasn't God's initial intended design for us. But because of sin, we're living in the consequences of everything that's different from what God's initial heart and plan was for you and I. Now, the irony in this, it says that the wages of sin is death. And when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, did they die immediately? No, but death came into the picture. And instantly, they were greeted with mercy and grace because they should have died. They should have died right on the spot because they didn't die immediately. That was a sign that God still had mercy on them in that, this, in that situation. So because of they didn't immediately die, but death became inevitable in every area of our lives. The consequences of sin brought death to everything that God initially created for us to enjoy. And here's some of the things that we lost because of sin. First thing is this. We lost our connection with God. 
we lost our connection with God. Isaiah says that our sin separates us from God. God's arm is not too short to save, but it's our sin, it's our iniquities that separated us from him. It created a gap between us and God. So God and us, we're no longer connected anymore. We have a void in our heart. There's an emptiness there, and that gap is created because of sin. So we lost our connection with God. We also lost our right standing with God. We, uh, we were children of God. Now we are children with wrath, of wrath. That's what Ephesians 2 talks about. Now we are all God's creation, but we become his children when we receive him into our heart. Now people would say, no, we're all children of God. No, that's not entirely true. We're all God's creation. We only become his child or his children when we put our faith and trust in him. We're his creation, but we become his children through faith. And because of our sin, now we lost that connection. We lost that right standing with God. Third thing that we lost because of sin is we lost our provision. The crazy thing about that environment that God created is that the, the earth was producing for us. We didn't have to work for our food. The earth was producing naturally food for us. And now because of our sin, the consequences of that is that now the ground became cursed. And you and I now have to work for our sustenance. We have to work for our livelihood. We have to go through this necessary frustration called work for our survival. Now we have to sweat to stay alive. That wasn't God's initial plan. He wanted us to rest in his creation. Now we have to work because that's the consequences of sin. We lost that natural provision from God. Next thing that we lost is we lost our security. There was a perfect environment. No death, no disease, no sickness, no funerals. That wasn't God's intent for you and I. Now sin comes into the picture and now everything that I just mentioned is, becomes our reality. We're living in a broken world where death is inevitable for everyone. Now sickness is inevitable. That wasn't God's intent, so we lost security. Next thing we lose, we lost is we lost our connection with others. We had an intimacy with one another because we were naked without any shame. There was a vulnerability there. There was an intimate connection. Sin broke that up and brought blame into the relationship. The first thing that Adam did after the sin was like, the woman you gave me. So blame off the bat. Broken relationship. Now we have fighting and we have tension. We have shame and guilt. All of that was a byproduct of sin. But in the beginning, that wasn't the intent that God had for us. We should have had connection, intimacy. Now we have to work to create and cultivate relationships that create that intimacy. Now it takes effort for us to do that, but that wasn't God's initial plan. We lost our connection with others. And lastly, here's one of the consequences. We lost our purpose. Now we lost our purpose. We were created to fill the earth with God's goodness, and instead we went on to do our own thing. And that's where some of us are living our life right now. You're doing your own thing. You're doing what you feel like is right for you. And that's a consequence of sin. We don't have now a purpose in life. We're not living for a higher being. We're just living for ourselves. Back in the day, there was this Joni Mitchell song. And some of the lyrics goes like this. Don't it always seem the gold that you don't know what you got till it's gone. You don't know what you have. Until you lost it. Now you and I, we don't realize 
how much sin cost us to lose out on the intended world that he had for us. Man, look at that list. We could go on and on of everything that we lost because of sin in our lives, because of sin from our forefathers. So different from the heart that God has for us. But the one thing that we didn't lose because of sin was God's passionate pursuit of us. We lost everything else, but we didn't lose God's pursuit of you and I. And because of his love, and because of his desire to want to be close to us, he was continually pursuing us, and he's pursuing us to this day. He pursued Adam and Eve in the garden, and God is pursuing us. Why? Because he loves us, and he wants to have a relationship with us. Last point in our notes. Because of his pursuit, that's why Christ came, to make us whole. Christ had to come for us to experience wholeness. Verse 21 says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God couldn't see us, couldn't stand seeing us getting itchy because of the fig leaves. He didn't like the rash that we had because of the fig leaves that we created. And that's what happens when you try to make a covering for yourself. You start creating an irritation because it's hard to upkeep an image that you created. So the thing that you're needing to sustain you is the very thing that's irritating you. So God couldn't bear to see us putting our own coverings. So what he did is he made coverings for ourselves. He covered us. And in order for him to cover us, he needed to kill an animal. So it doesn't say that clearly in the text, but we realize that that was foreshadowing for what Christ would eventually come to do for you and I. He would sacrifice himself. He would become a perfect land that takes away the sins of the earth. Sin requires a sacrifice, and Jesus was the perfect sacrifice that reconnects us back to God. And we get clothed with his righteousness. I heard it said this way, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man puts himself where God deserves to be. God puts himself where only man deserves to be. So what is that explaining for us is that we deserve sin, we deserve death. God took our place and he gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us life and life more abundantly. So God takes our junk and he gives us the life that he intends for us. That's the beautiful exchange that happens when we put our faith in Jesus. He takes all of our junk and gives us everything that we don't deserve. Blessings, eternity, relationship back to the Father. But because of sin, that was that separation. And Christ came to not only connect us back to God, but to make us whole again. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says this. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are also what? Complete, whole. You're no longer empty anymore. You're complete and whole. Here's how. Through your union with Christ. Through a relationship with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and the authority. So the only way for us to be holy and complete is for us to give our heart wholly and completely to Jesus. We can't be holy on our own. We need Christ to do that. And when we give our hearts wholly and completely to him, that's where we experience the fullness. Jesus undid what Adam did in the garden, and Jesus makes us holy. Deion Sanders was a famous football player, and the college football championship just happened, and he's now a coach at Colorado University. Before he became a coach, though, he had a life-altering 
encounter with Jesus that radically changed his life. He had all the fame. He had all the things that we would think that would be the life that we would all want, yet he still felt empty, and Jesus met him in his emptiness. Take a look on screen as he encourages us with his testimony. Dion is the only man in history to play in both the Super Bowl and the World Series. He dominated both sports for more than a decade, earning himself two Super Bowl rings and a spot in the Hall of Fame. So out of all of the sporting moments, what was your greatest, do you think? Do you ever think about those, no. or do you not really? Honestly, man, behind the veil, behind the mask, I'm really different than my public persona. My public persona is prime time, you know? So like, even like when you won the Super Bowl and stuff? When I won the Super Bowl, when I won my first Super Bowl. What did you do? I was the first one on the bus, first one to bed. I didn't even go to party. It was something missing inside, man. It wasn't fulfilling as I thought it was. It, it, it wasn't about the things, the outward things, because I had um, power, money, and, and sex, but it wasn't fulfilling. So you had all of that power, money, and sex, and it was it just? It was empty. It's an empty feeling still. Still empty. So what happened? That's when I went through my, my first divorce in which the only things that I knew that truly loved me were my two kids. Now they're gone. Now they've been taken away. Because you lost custody of your kids. It was devastating. And I went through suicidal thoughts, a suicidal period. I, I ran um, this car off the side of the highway and was at the bottom. I thought it would just car would flip it and flip. And I was still there. And I was like, man. Hmm. Shortly after that, I had to just come to the Lord with my hands up, say, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. You got me. I give up. God, you take me. So like all of that power, money, sex didn't empty. give you what your, There's your empty. faith has. Mm -mm. Empty. Emptiness. There's a great power to being able to achieve amazing things. Mm -hmm. and yet hold them so lightly because you have something far more precious. That's it. And, you know, we share a faith together. You know, it's like a backbone to me as well. And it's like all the achievements and the summits and they're, they're nothing compared to, right. you know, that something inside. And I totally see it in you. I stayed strong and I never questioned God. And I won custody so of my won babies. custody. Yeah, I won custody of all my babies. And I'm happy, you know, I pride myself on being the best dad in the world, man. I know all their shoe sizes, all their clothes sizes, their teachers. Uh, I know how to braid my daughter's hair. <laughs> it has to be something bigger than you that you're working for, that you're living for. If it's all about you, you've already lost. Come on. He says in another interview, I don't believe you can be at your optimum without your faith. Sports is sports. It's a game. My faith is everything. It's the gas that propels the courage. The truth keeps me going. It's the wind. It's the wings. It's the air that pumps into my lungs that provokes me to live. Faith is everything. He thought he had everything, yet he was still empty. And it was only when he gave his heart, surrendered to God, that that void in his heart was completely filled. Now, I want to encourage you with the gospel in three words. Holy, holy, holy. First holy, H-O-L-Y. God created us to be holy like him. We were created in his image. 
He created a perfect, holy world for us to enjoy with Him. Second word, holy, H-O-L-E-Y. Sin comes into a picture, separates us from God, leaves a void in our hearts that you and I spend the rest of our lives trying to fill. We are empty, trying to fill our eternal void with created things, trying to do it with relationships and, and money and things and realizing that nothing can fill that eternal void in our heart. So we're H-O-L-E-Y. We're holy. So Jesus couldn't stand us being separated from him, couldn't stand us to be stuck in this cycle of sin. So he comes and he gives himself holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Dying on the cross, giving his whole life for you and I. Conquering sin, conquering death, rose again, and he offers life for anyone who puts their faith and trust in him. Now, you and I have eternal life when we give our hearts wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, to Jesus. That void in your heart is filled. You have purpose, meaning, and a destiny. All of that is that byproduct of us having a relationship with God. That's the gospel in three words. Holy 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 here's the takeaway that i want us to leave with tonight to be encouraged to keep our eyes back on jesus and it's this it'll be up on screen here's the posture that all of us need to have bring being whole in god starts with giving our whole heart to him so if you feel empty that means that you haven't fully given your heart to god if there's just this void that doesn't feel like it will ever be filled, it's a sign from God that you haven't completely surrendered everything to him. Now, you might have prayed a prayer, but you haven't fully surrendered everything. And part of us growing in our understanding of who God is, it's constantly surrendering everything that he reveals to us that's taking his place in our lives. That's what surrender is. It's not just a one-time prayer. It's an ongoing posture of us saying, God, you have everything. And when we thought that we gave him everything, he's like, no, I still want that area in your heart. No, I got to give this to you. That's what growing in maturity and faith looks like. Constantly surrendering. And the more we surrender, the more complete and whole, W-H-O-L-E, Jesus begins to fill that emptiness in our hearts. So if you're feeling empty, if there's a void in your heart tonight, it's a sign that there's something that God wants us to surrender to him so that he can fill that void with himself. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you're calling us to be set apart. Lord, we thank you for the beautiful picture of the gospel in three words that helps us to see where we fall short, but where you come through. And I pray tonight, Lord, that we would see you, but also we would see ourselves in the right light. And if there's anything in our heart, Jesus, that's preventing us from living fully surrendered to you, Holy Spirit, illuminate these areas. God, we don't want to hold on to anything. We don't want to hold on to our money. We don't want to hold on to our positions. We don't want to hold on to anything that's stopping us from experience, experiencing the fullness of who you are. So tonight, Lord, we come to you with a posture of complete surrender. You have access to every aspect of our hearts, God. There's no room that we're keeping you out of. If there is something in our lives, God, that is not of you, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate your spirit, would help us to see so that we can surrender it all to you. You gave it all for us in our response, 
is to give everything to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.